Seth, we're grateful for you, brother. Judges 6, 36 through 40. That's what I'll be reading this morning where we'll be in the sermon. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please, let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. And as you're being seated, please bow with me. Father, I pray that you would please open up your word to us this morning. Also, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive this truth as we ought to. I pray also, Lord, that you would please grant by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would walk in this truth. This is not naturally something we would do in and of ourselves apart from the moving of your Holy Spirit who would convince us of this truth and convict us of it. Those of us who have been converted, Lord, we would never have wanted, desired to walk in obedience and in love to the Savior Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would cause that to be the case, Lord, with those of us who know you and love you this morning. Help us to walk in these truths. Lord, those who have not come to know you yet, Lord, please draw them to yourself. Grant them repentance, lead them to life, and save them, even this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges 6, 36 through 40 is probably one of the most uh, famous portions of Gideon's life. If you think of Gideon, the judge, in the book of Judges, you probably only think of maybe two things. When you immediately think about him, you either think of this instance with the fleece or you think of when he saved Israel with only 300 men. Probably those two things are what come to your mind. So this is a very famous portion about Gideon. Now, Gideon was about to step into something hard, which is, which is why he did this. He wanted to be sure. When we know we're about to step into something big and potentially scary, we often make sure, even doubly sure, we can pull it off first. For example, in the natural world, Before you're going to buy a home, let's say, and take out a loan to get that house, you first make sure that you have the means to pay that loan off along with all your other monthly expenses. If not, you either then look for a smaller home or you look for ways to cut out unnecessary spending. You do all that first before you make that step, right? Because it's a big step, even scary. In the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm, Even Jesus said this about coming to Christ. Jesus tells us to count the cost before you come. Meaning, you need to think about this. Coming to Jesus Christ, being a Christian, will mean that you pledge allegiance to King Jesus above all other allegiances on planet Earth. His takes the lead over them all. 
should that be the case in your life where you have to choose one or the other? So there's wisdom in considering whether or not you should step out and do something, especially when you don't know what that outcome might be. And the outcome could be very negative if it doesn't go the way you're hoping it would go. So there's wisdom in considering these things. It's wise to consider possible outcomes. But, but, was that the case with Gideon in our text? Should we see his actions as, as wise or as foolish? Should we see his, his actions as faithful or faithless? And what about when, when I want to act in a similar manner? What about when I want to maybe do something similar to what Gideon did? What about when I'm unsure about something God has said? Am I allowed to test God? Am I allowed to tell him what I want him to do in order to fully believe what he's told me to do? Am I allowed to do those things? We're going to talk about that. I want to try to convince you of this, though. I want to try to convince you that getting and putting out the fleece is not a prescription of what should be done. It's rather just a description of what Gideon did. In other words, the Bible isn't saying, I don't think, you should do this. I think it's simply saying, this is what Gideon did. Let me read a quote to you. Listen to this. The phrase, putting out the fleece, is a familiar one in religious circles. It means asking God to guide us in a decision by fulfilling some condition that we lay down. In my personal ministry, he says, and this is Warren Wearsby, by the way, he says, in, in my personal ministry, I've met all kinds of people who have gotten themselves into trouble by putting out the fleece. If they received a phone call at a certain time from a certain person, God was telling them to do this. Or if the weather changed at a certain time, God was telling them to do something else. Putting out the fleece is not a biblical method for determining the will of God. Rather, it's an approach used by people like Gideon who lack the faith to trust God to do what he said he would do. Hmm, pretty strong words. He's not done. Who are we to tell God what conditions he must meet, especially when he has already spoken to us in his word? Putting out the fleece is not only an evidence of our unbelief, but it's also an evidence of our pride. Wow. God has to do what I tell him to do before I will do what he's told me to do? Unquote. I thought that was very good. I think it just lays it out very simply. It boils it down to what it really is. And so let's get into our text because if we walk through this, I think we'll see that this is not a prescription for what should be done. It's just a description of what he did. And I'm going to try to convince you of that because I think you will step into folly should you incorporate practices like this in your life. So let's start. Verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel, Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. There's dew on the fleece only, and it's drying on the ground. Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, the context here, remember, God's already come to him and said, I'm going to use you. 
to save Israel. That's why he says twice. Did you pick up on this? Did you pick up on this twice? If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, there's the first one. If you're going to do this like you said you were going to, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground all around, then I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So twice. This is not building a good case for Gideon. Twice. He's already acknowledged, God, I know what you said. However, if that's actually true, then I want you to do something miraculous. I want you to show me in some miraculous way. Now, aren't you glad the Lord does sometimes succumb to our childishness? Aren't you glad that sometimes God does meet us in our foolishness? He stoops way down and he meets us in our foolishness and helps us in our foolishness. I can recall as a baby Christian things I did and said and ways that I believe I probably even tested God that I would not do now. He was gracious. He was patient. And praise God for that. He is definitely good to meet us there. However, he doesn't want us to stay there. Just like you might meet your children in their foolishness so that they can learn and grow from there. You'll say, okay, 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 listen. I will do X, Y, Z. Okay, I'm going to help you with this, but we need to understand this is not the norm. We're going to grow from here, right? We're going to learn from this, right? Imagine if 20 years later, when your child was not a child anymore, but a 30-year-old perhaps at that point, he or she was still acting the same way. We would say, I think something's wrong. Just like it would be wrong for us to, I believe, if we're mature in our faith, rewind and go back to ways like this. Gideon was very, very fresh in his walk with the Lord and had already showed that he has troubles like this. Look back to verse 17 of this chapter. Look back to verse 17. He's already done this. He's already done this once. God's already met him once in his foolishness, in his folly. Verse 17, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. And as you recall, Gideon went, made him a meal, brought the meal back. The angel of the Lord tells Gideon, put the meal that you made for me on that rock over there. Pour the broth over the meal. The angel of God touches the meal with the tip of his staff. Fire appears from the rock, and then the angel of God disappears. Remember that from a few weeks ago? And at that point, Gideon says, now I know that it's you. And he begins to worship. His his hospitality changed to worship because of God's revelation. That was the point two weeks ago in our text. So God's already done this. God's God's already shown him, I believe, beyond the shadow of a doubt, you can believe me at my word. And here's Gideon again saying, if what you said is actually true, please do this. 
And God graciously meets him. So much so, there's so much dew in that fleece, and so little dew on the ground around it. Gideon's able to squeeze out all the dew into a bowl, fill the bowl up with the water. Then look at verse 39. Thankfully, at this point, Gideon says, you know what? Yes, that was totally enough proof. Here I go. Here we go. Nope. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Gideon then says, you know, perhaps this was just a really crazy coincidence. And it could be. It could be that this was a very absorbent fleece. And it gathered all the dew from a mile around and just sucked it in. It could be. I'm, now I'm doubtful of the, of the fleece, perhaps. So I need to just be doubly sure now. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only. And on the ground let there be dew. And these next words, these next four words, again, are just evidence of God's grace and patience and kindness and God did so. So gracious. I mean, I've already told you guys this. More patient and gracious than I would be. Probably even more patient and gracious than you would be. I mean, this is the third time Gideon's basically said, you know, <laughs> I know what you said, okay? But not sure. Not sure about you yet. And God is very gracious. God did so that night, then it was dry on the fleece only. On the ground there was dew. So now he knows this is not a supernatural fleece. This is a supernatural God. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, now again, which I would say, however, the first time was beyond the shadow of a doubt. I mean, fire came up from a rock, and then this person disappeared out of his sight. I would think that was enough. But then, think about you. Think about you, and think about me. Has God ever done something in your life that you would say, that was amazing, that was something only God can do? Maybe finances were very tight, maybe finances were in the negative, and God did something, miraculously. Somebody said, here's this, somebody said, here's that, raised up a job for you that you weren't expecting, something. I think all of you who are Christians can say, yes, yes, God's done that in my life. He's done it. He's done it in our life many times. And then, after that, money gets tight again, and you start freaking out. What are we going to do? What am I going to do? What if this happens? What if this happens? Maybe I should freak out a bit more, because that always helps me. And we forget what God did. And instead of saying, yeah, no, I'm not going to freak out because God provided for us miraculously before, and I believe he'll do it again. What I should have learned from this is pray, ask my father, trust my father, wait on my father. And that's what we're going to do. It's just getting a little close to home, isn't it? Because I look at Gideon and I say, you are a colossal fool. And I would have never chosen you. You got a bad attitude. You're a coward. 
and you're so doubtful. I mean, you're just making me sick to read about you. I would have never chosen you. I would have moved on from you long ago. Not the guy to save Israel. And God is so patient with him again and again and again as he's patient with you and me again and again and again. Praise God, right? However, I will say this. It's time for some of us to grow up past these things that we keep struggling with again and again and again. It's true for Ko and Ezel. I think it's true for you too in some ways, right? It's time for you to grow up just like you would look at someone else who's doing the same thing you're doing and say, something's wrong with her. Something's wrong with him. There's some areas that I look at my life and I say, what's wrong with you? It's time to grow up, church, in some areas of your life. It's time for you to get past that. Put your big boy pants on, put your big girl pants on, and grow up in the faith. And so Gideon is given grace once again. But now it's time for him to really step out and trust God after this point. And we see that he will begin to do that. He will. So I want to talk about this now. Next, I want to, again, show you that Gideon's actions are not a prescription, but just a description. I want to show us, however, I want to look at some other people's lives who did not need this much, didn't need everything that Gideon was given. I want to look at three other people in the Bible that I believe we can look at as more prescriptive instead of just descriptive. I believe we can look at these three people and take from them. This is a prescription of what should be done when you face very hard, uncertain things. And I get it why Gideon was this afraid. Remember, these people came in year after year. The Amalekites, Midianites, came in year after year and completely raided them, took all their crops, took all their animals, made them have to run and hide in caves for their lives. So I get it why he was afraid. Totally understandable. These people could have squashed him and his people into the ground so easily. They were so horribly outnumbered and had so few weapons. So I understand wanting to make doubly sure. I get it. I get it. But there's some other people that faced hard stuff too and didn't need all this. Remember also where we are in the Bible. We're in the book of Judges. This is a bad time for Israel. This isn't a good time. This isn't a normal time. Remember, I named the the whole study of this book the tragedy of the human condition. That's what we titled the entire study of this book, the tragedy of the human condition. This was a very bad time in history. Let's look at some other times. Let's look at David. Remember when David was facing a giant? Here's Gideon facing the Amalekites, Midianites, scared for his life. David faces a giant in 1 Samuel 17. I want to read to you verse 26, and then I want to read verses 31 through 37. How did he handle this situation that was also very scary, like Gideon was facing his situation? And David said to the men who stood by him, this is 1 Samuel 17, 26, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them to Saul. He sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. 
Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Very bold for a youth, by the way. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. He saw, There's no talking this fiery young man out of this. It was zeal for God's glory, zeal for God's glory that moved David forward in the face of that giant. And I'm going to say to you, youth in this room, would that there were youth like this today who were zealous for the glory of God. He was a young man, not much older than some of you youth in here, maybe the same age as some of you youth in here. We don't know exactly. Would that some of you youth were this zealous for God's glory, you would change. You would, you would touch so many people's lives because there are so few young people that give a rip about anything besides social media and video games and being liked. And I wish I was a youth like that. However, I was a fool, but God was gracious to this fool and saved me when I was 19. David was facing a giant And zeal for God's glory was the key for him. In the face of this great fear, zeal for God's glory moved him to go forward and fight. And he won with God's help, right? The next gentleman I want to look at is also from the Old Testament. He's a prophet. He's a prophet named Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was facing some big fears as well, some big challenges as well. Why? Well, he was facing wicked kings, crooked priests, and false prophets. All the leaders of Judah during that time, all all the leaders of the people of Israel during that time, though he was a prophet to Judah, um, they hated his guts, (laughs) okay, because his words were against them. He had words against the wicked kings. He had words against the crooked priests. He had words from the Lord to the false prophets as well. His message, unfortunately, was not well received. Sinful men don't like the word of God. Sinful men are repelled by the word of God when God's not softening their hearts. When they're in their pride and when they're in their foolishness and rebellion, the word of God, they loathe it. And that's what happened to Jeremiah. He was not popular This message did not turn the hearts of the people like he was hoping that it would. That's why at one part of the book of Jeremiah, he says, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. Because he felt deceived. He thought, I'm going to preach this message. People are going to repent and turn. He felt like, this this isn't working, God. 
but the people of Israel were going to stay in their rebellion, and God was going to raise up the Babylonians to come in and invade them and punish them, and it was all part of God's plan. However, the people of Israel were doing exactly what their sinful hearts wanted to do. Gideon's message was not received. Gideon was hated, and his life was very hard because all the leaders around him, all the community, really from the top to the bottom, hated this man. So what helped Jeremiah then? Look at Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. I'm going to read that to us. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. What's he like, Jeremiah? He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness and 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 an uninhabited salt land. What, what about the opposite? Well, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, if you're thinking when you read verses 7 and 8, that sounds familiar. Blessed is the man who's trusting the Lord. He's like a tree planted by waters. He doesn't wilt. Yes, you're right. That is just like Psalm 1. And I believe this is where, this is what influenced him to also write this. Though this is the word of the Lord that's come to him to read. And it's just amazing that God's word doesn't change. What he inspired David to say in Psalm 1 is the same truth that he's inspiring Jeremiah to say to the people of Israel. In Jeremiah 17. So, here we are, and what is Jeremiah saying to the people? He's basically saying, and what's in his heart, is that belief in God's word. Belief in God's word is what strengthened Jeremiah to continue moving forward in the midst of a community. He says, cursed are those who trust in the word of man. Blessed are those who trust in the word of God. That was not only his message to the people, but that was also the message that was keeping his heart going Because remember, it says those who trust in God, they won't wither. And they won't be anxious during the drought. Jeremiah was in a spiritual drought 100%. This would have encouraged his heart so much. And it did. It did. Yes, he was the weeping prophet. Yes, he had troubles. But they didn't keep him down because God was lifting him up through the word. All right? So belief in the word was what helped Jeremiah when facing, really, hatred by everybody. I mean, imagine going to work and everybody there hates you. Imagine walking down the street and going to the store and everybody there hates you. Imagine everyone, because he was a Jew in a Jewish community. Okay? It's not like a community like ours. It's a bit different. Religion was just worked into the fiber of Jewish people. So if you're different in your religious beliefs, it's going to affect every area of your life. Imagine going everywhere and everyone hating you. What helped Gideon? I mean, what helped uh, Jeremiah, rather? Belief in the Word of God. Next, let's, let's look at the third person. Who is the best person? The most perfect person? The only perfect person? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. When he was facing... The wrath of God. So we have David facing a 
giant. We have Jeremiah facing the leaders of Israel that hated him, and now we have Jesus facing the wrath of God. What do we learn from him? Matthew 26, 39 through 42. Listen to this. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So when it comes to Jesus, it was trust in God's will that moved him to go to the cross, that moved him to drink the cup of God's wrath that should have been ours, to shed his blood and to die. Thankfully, we know that he rose again from the dead to procure salvation for all who would trust in him for their salvation, all who would believe that what he did on the cross was for them. Repent of their sins, put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we come to faith. That's how we get saved. And if you're not saved this morning, you can be, and I pray that you would be. This is a free gift from God Almighty. He's done everything necessary for your salvation. You can come this morning, and I pray that you would. What's keeping you? What is keeping you? Whatever it is, I promise you, it's of the world, of the flesh, or of the devil. So when walking with the Lord and walking in obedience, we will be sure to face hard, uncertain scenarios that test us. 100% it's going to happen. God will often give you commands that will test your faith. Do you know why? Because he wants to grow your faith. He wants to make you more like Jesus Christ. You and I both know that if we stay how we are in our flesh, we don't naturally become like Jesus. We just don't. We don't. That's just that's not news to you. You already know that about yourself. You know that we have to be tested to become better. Just like you have to be tested on subjects to show that you really have gotten that or not. That's why you have tests. It shows, do I have this? Can I regurgitate it on this test right here? Yes. Well, then it's in there. Tests also show what's in here, in our hearts, what's true and what's false. So tests are good for us. God will often put you in scenarios that are uncomfortable and a bit hard so that you'll have to practice what you say you believe. That is normal Christianity. So get ready for that. However, when those times come and uncertain scenarios test us, in those times, are we to try to test God? Or were you to trust God? The way to navigate those uncertain waters is to follow the examples of those who've gone before us, like we saw in David, like we saw in Jeremiah, and especially as we saw in our Lord Jesus Christ. David, I put these all on a um, slide for you. 
David's zeal for the glory of God helped him face those hard, scary, uncertain uncertainties of the giant. Jeremiah's belief in God's word is what got him through that hard time where everybody hated his guts. And of course, Jesus's trial, which is the most hardest out of all three of these, just doesn't even compare. But it was Jesus's trust in God's will that got him not only to the cross, but then through it afterwards in the resurrection. We can learn something from this. You if not today, then this week. And if that this week, then this month. If that this month, then definitely some point in 2022, if you're walking with the Lord, you will face a test. It'll be hard. It'll be scary. And it'll be uncertain. The uncertain part is the part that gets us the most. Really, it is. Sometimes the hard part is not even that hard for us if, if something's hard, we can say, okay, I've, I've done hard things before. I can do this. It's just hard. But it's the uncertain. That's what freaks us out the most because we don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose a friend? Am I going to lose maybe money? What, what's going to happen here? I don't know. So I'm scared. I'm scared. That's not the time for testing God. That's the time for trusting God. Church, I'm going to end with this. When you're tempted to put the fleece out and test God, remember, those who did it right put the faith in and trusted God. They didn't put the fleece out. They put, they, they put their faith in and they trusted God. They didn't test God. They trusted God. Listen to this from the New Testament. We know that there was nothing um, for Gideon to do but simply to confront the enemies of the true God. That's all he really had to do because he had God's word. He just had to step out in faith. Listen to this from 1 John 5, 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And it's still the same for you today, church. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for how clear and true it is, simple. Lord, I pray that you would help us, simple people, <clears throat> to walk in a simple faith. Lord, I pray that you would please help us, Lord, because things will come. Things will come. They will come that test us, that try us, that make us uncertain and fearful. And I pray in those times, help us not to say, well, what if? What if God is wrong? You know, maybe I should test him here. Maybe I should not step out until this happens. Or maybe I should not step out until that happens. Lord, please help us to step out, knowing that what has already happened is you've already, already given us the truth in your word to stand on. So help us to step out when you command us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.